Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me in studio, sitting across from me with a longer beard than me at this point in time, which is a bizarre. <laughs> this is, I believe, the first time in our lives. Yeah, I think, well, I don't know about that. I mean, you're older than me, so I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure maybe you had a beard before I did, but it's Garrett Hole. Garrett, what's going on, buddy? Uh, well, not much. Uh, sorry about being a little bit late. But, oh, that's uh, okay. I was, little, I was a little afraid of the nuclear winter, so I had to make sure I had enough dry food. Well, you know, the thing about podcasts is that, uh, we don't have a live audience, so we can really, you know, you didn't have to tell anyone that they could have assumed you're very punctual and on time. I wanted the nuclear winter joke, though. I had to. Um, so we have you in my living room. Mm-hmm. Not my first time. No, and it won't be your last, it as far will as not, I'm concerned. No. Um, to chat about the Winnipeg Jets, we're going to do a bit of a Jets deep dive. That's For some reason, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, you don't really cover the Jets anymore, but I guess... You are wearing a Winnipeg Jets Jets Nation shirt right now, and to be fair, you were covering them last season, and we're going to sort of be kind of bridging bridging what happened last year into look, looking ahead. So mm-hmm. you're probably the right guy. I feel like you're still the uh, the hockey PDO cast go to Jets <laughs> correspondent. Jets correspondent. Oh god. Um. Okay, so where do we start with this? I think with this team, like for the past however many years, pretty much since they moved back to Winnipeg, any discussion about them has started and with the goaltending situation mm-hmm. because uh you know i was looking back and it's been six seasons since they moved back to winnipeg from atlanta and they made the playoffs once mm-hmm. they didn't win any playoff games that time but they did make the playoffs uh, and, and they were leading at the start of the third period in every single one of those games that they lost well the, yeah the playoffs can be a uh a, a fickle beast um but that was the one good Andre Pavlik above average season where I believe he had like a 920 save percentage in 50 games or something like that. And, Not coincidental. And yeah, and they had, you know, their best team success and made the playoffs that year. And uh, the the following season, I think they were 28th, I looked up, in save percentage as a team. And last year, same. I think they were all the way up to 27th in 5-on-5 save percentage. Um and so, obviously, they're going to look different at this year with Steve Mason coming in yeah. and kind of helping relieve some of the pressure off of Connor Halleboy's shoulders. Um, do you think 
What do you what do you think about Steve Mason move? And do you think there's realistic optimism to be had about the fact that the Jets might be able to finally get out of that save percentage seller they've been in pretty much for for years on end now? Yeah, I mean, there's the whole you know cop out answer of goaltenders are voodoo. Um, the, the whole Andrew cop out answer. Uh, since we're talking Jets, yeah. Uh, and I mean, there's there's some truth to it in the ideas that you know, 2014, 2015, Andre Pavlik had a 900 save percentage until about the last um, two months or maybe two months and a half. All of a sudden, he just went on fire and pulled himself all the way up to 920, and the Jets made the playoffs. Uh, so, like any if. The, the the idea behind goaltenders or voodoo is not the fact that, you know, there's no way to analyze goaltenders. It's just the understanding that good goaltenders will still be shit in some seasons. Yep. And they'll still be good in other seasons. Yep. And bad goaltenders will be good sometimes and terrible sometimes. So even if the Jets made no changes, there's still a chance. Um, however, bringing in Mason... I believe Mason is an extreme upgrade in terms of provenness. I mean, he's had some rocky ups and downs or whatever, but in the end, I still believe him to be uh, a better replacement than Andre Pavlik. And also, um, I just blanked on... Uh, the ghost of Michael Hutchinson? The ghost of Michael Hutchinson, who had a lot of potential, but just turned out to be basically Andre Pavlik, which isn't a bad deal because, I mean... A lot of people hear me poop on Andre Pavlik, but that was more due to the idea of just riding him no questions asked as the bonafide number one when, you know, he was still a legitimate goaltender. And I'm kind of interested to see how he does in New York, especially because New York is a, a team that likes to play their goaltenders shallow. Yes. And Pavlik's biggest issue is that he plays deep. Or not deep, sorry, he plays like way out there. Right, he's way too aggressive. He's way too aggressive, and I think if New York pulls him back, he might be a legitimate backup goaltender. Yeah, I think if uh, if he can play more like Henrik Lundqvist, he will yeah. he will be useful. Stylistically. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody expects him to play more like Lundqvist in terms of quality. But Although we'll see. I mean, yeah. um, you know, obviously I guess we'll see this season how uh, Anti-Ranta does in Arizona. Yeah. Um, you know, Cam Talbot's short, sort of shown, especially last year, that he's kind of the real deal and it wasn't just the, the Rangers system. But mm-hmm. they have for a while now, like their backups have posted pretty good numbers behind yeah. Henry Clunquist, so I'm kind of curious to see whether that trend continues it, and they can actually salvage some value out of public or whether it's it's always hard to tell like I mean we're tensioning here but it's always hard to tell because of the fact that you know there's team effects but there's also yeah. randomness when you flip a coin sometimes you get a whole bunch of heads in a row uh, regardless of yeah. you know whether the coin is weighted or not um, but yeah with the goaltending thing just to go back is I, I think that they made the right move um, whether or not that move turns out to be the impact that they need because like the biggest issue has been stopping the puck for the yep. Jets um, they are I think seventh in goals for last year um, they're a great five on five team they're they struggle a little bit in the penalty kill as okay a little bit's a bit of a <laughs> understatement understatement yeah. and also their defensive uh, systems is not the greatest. Um, I mean, they they do a decent job in choking out the s- shots that are up close to the net, but they struggle with you know the two on ones, the breakaways, and and that kind of stuff. But I really think that the goaltending solution was like the biggest thing that they needed, and 
well, there was, there was nothing on there that was a for sure win, no matter what, on the market. Well, I think, the, I mean, one of the best things you can say about the Steve Mason deal is the fact that they only had to give him two years. Yeah. And I think, believe he's, he's 29. So I think that's perfect. It's, it's perfect. Because, like, you don't I mean, want to be committing long term, but I mean, some people might say, you know, four million is quite a bit, but like, I believe his AAV is, I believe both of their AAVs, um, for both of the contracts that the Jets signed over the summer are literally on the dot the same as before. And I don't think that's unintentional. Well, and the thing with Steve Mason, um, he's like the ultimate arbitrary endpoint guy yeah. where like there's, Depending on which uh, which light you want to shine his career in, so far, like you, you know, if you if you cut certain some years, years you're like, oh god, that years. was ugly. And same with last year. And then there's this like stretch of between 2013 and 2016 where he was really good mm-hmm. in Philly, especially if you look at the five on five data. Um, yeah. You know, maybe on the penalty kill, he wasn't quite as good, but. I I'm optimistic that he'll bounce back and be useful, and I'm kind of. I feel like they're in the perfect spot here where they can really, I mean, it might be 50-30 as opposed to 40, you know, 41-41 evenly, but they're going to have that sort of ideal opportunity here to go with a 1A, 1B in net as opposed to and that's having what they undying allegiance to one guy, which yeah. they had in the past maybe. And this is the first year that they'll have that, and that is literally what they've needed since they moved to Winnipeg. And I mean, even if Mason performs like last year, it's still going to be a, a decent improvement, especially I looked at expected goals, um, the DTM about heart version yep. and his performance versus Hutchinson and Pavlik was worth about three or four wins. And that's a big deal in the league with as much parity as that exists. Yeah. I mean, they missed the playoffs by seven points last year and those three or four wins would have helped quite a bit. Ding, ding, ding. Um, so uh, I have a few uh, questions here about what the Jets are going to look like next season. And one of them, uh, we've discussed this about them on the podcast before. I know, I know you've written about it and I wrote about it myself is this idea of pace and the speed they were playing at at five on five as a team. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't looked at their year end numbers, but I know for large stretches, like pretty much as far as like two thirds of the way in, through the season, they were one of the slowest teams in the league. And if you're using uh, combined shots for and against per hour as a proxy for pace, which is sort of the best we have at this point. And, you know, they were, they were right there with like the blues and the devils. And that seemed very unbecoming for, the type of team they have, especially up front with all the, you know, young dynamic forwards they have. And it seemed like we were both kind of curious as to how much of that was coaching effects and how much of that was just kind mm-hmm. of inexplicable randomness. And I don't and know. Do we have an answer to that? I mean, we did notice the fact that the Jets did p- play to a higher pace as the season went on, yep. which also caused them to fall from, or not fall, but uh, rise away from a high quality draft positioning. Um, cause originally they were in, they were in battle for the top, top spot. And then all of a sudden they went on a couple of win streaks there. And a large part of it was, I believe due to the fact that they started picking up the pace and playing more of a style that fits the jets just because they have that depth of, of youth and young, quick players, yeah. especially now that they've, uh, lost the, the shackles of, uh, Mark Stewart and Chris Thorburn for next, next season. Yeah. Um, yeah, as just as a, as a as a unbiased observer and a, a fan of hockey and the NHL, I mean, they were it was disappointing watching them sometimes because you could sort of see that um, they weren't maybe playing up to their potential, and that's kind of been a common theme with this team. I mean, how like so? How much of that are you putting on 
Paul Maurice and the, and the job he was actually doing. Because I know we've been we've been pretty pretty critical of him in the past. I'm, I feel like we still don't. A lot of our evaluations of coaches are sort of like hearsay and speculation, and a lot of it is sort of the stuff they're there to do is stuff we're not necessarily privy to as observers from the outside. Yeah, as as we've gone over on this podcast before, and I won't go too deep into it because we have gone more in depth. Was that when was I, that when we did when you did that like hard hardware store yeah, analogy yeah, yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah. There's there's many different tools. There's many different roles and many different jobs within a head coach, and um, we're only privy to some of them. And even then, those ones that we're privy to have confounding variables. Just like, for example, pace. I think a lot of the pace had to... This is just speculation, but the Jets' goaltending was terrible. Yeah. From the get-go, the very beginning of the season. And I think um, Paul Maurice was like, holy crap. Because one thing that you'll notice when you look at the Jets last year, even though they're not considered a great defensive team, they did severely well in making shots not come from the prime areas right and i think a large part of that was because paul maurice didn't trust his goaltenders as far as he could throw them and goaltenders are heavy nowadays um and because of that he was trying to you know bail out as much water as possible maybe or maybe not it was the best solution who knows maybe you should have focused on plugging some holes or who knows what more analogies for you uh yeah, what, but, what is this and i know it's summer season there's a lot of uh, boat boat references yeah there we go uh but still like um i that's my guess so i believe that if the jets or if paul maurice has more confidence in his goaltender um he'll he'll do differently hmm. as a in terms of how he'll build the system i mean we saw 2014 2015 the jet system was dramatically different than it was last year and i think a lot of it has to do with you know that kind of trust and goaltending um so when you say you know whether or not a coach is bad or good some some of it might be just the fact that certain coaches are better with certain hands that are dealt with them it might not be that one hand is better than the other hand but just a coach might be better in one type of situation while another coach might be better in another right and i the idea of trust is sort of like a good segue in terms of looking at their forwards because um, you know, when they had that combination of Line A, Shifley, and Ehlers together, they were fantastic, and obviously they were generating a ton of offense. But then it, I, it felt and a like... And 107 PDO. Well, we can, <laughs> we, we, we can discuss about whether whether uh, some of those guys might be... Uh, have have some sort of a more innate ability to drive uh, higher scoring quality and, and, and all that. But, you know, it was pretty clear that maybe some of their depth players or guys they would have hoped would step up weren't able to be relied upon. So then they had to like split those guys up and go for a more balanced approach. And some of that might've also been just, you know, the rigors or regular season and all the injuries that they had, but I'd like to see them pretty much just keep those three guys together uh, for the entirety of next season. I don't know. I I would as well. Um, My personal opinion is um, I'm I'm kind of pro splitting your top three guys, especially when you have a top three guys that are kind of like the jets um in terms especially in terms of tilting the ice because i mean in my personal opinion blake wheeler is the best jet yeah and is that uh there are some people people who question that not many but there are some people who question that Hmm. especially because shifley has been improving and could be the best jet as close as next year right um so you know the closer players get the harder it gets to tell um whether or not one player is superior than the other 
Um, but then I would put Shifley on another line, and then I would put underrated Matthew Perot on. An, That's his full name. I think the, he's actually yes. like, legally changed it. Yep. The government has acknowledged it. Yeah, due to my my own uh, my own uh, drive for him and trying to get all, all the people to sign signatures and whatnot. yeah, no, you. I remember when you had the you were knocking at people's doors and the guy you had a petition going. Yeah, but this was before the internet. And I was going <laughs> years and years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I kind of like want to split them around. So I would probably put the three that we mentioned earlier together, and then Wheeler he probably put with uh, Little, and then one other player, and then uh, Perot on the third line with Kyle Connor and maybe another player, um, whether that would be Adam Lowry, Nick Patan, or Andrew Kopp in the center spot. Well, yeah, I mean, they have all these guys, and, you know, you mentioned Patan, uh, Connor, even like Marco Dano. I mean, they have some of these young forwards that if they could step up and realize the potential that we think they have or they've shown in the past, all of a sudden, yeah. it makes it much easier to load up just that top line like that rather than trying to spread the wealth. Yeah, they have they have six guys who are very... Like set top nine players, excellent. Ehlers, Line, Shifley, Little, Wheeler, Pro. Those players are you're gonna get top six um, type performance looking at any model, any eye test, whatever. Um, the the real questions comes with how do you fill the rest? And that's you know, do you go with the top six, t- bottom six type system, top nine, and spread the wealth a little bit more like I was speaking earlier. And there's a lot of question marks. I mean, you got guys like um, Adam Lowry and Joel Armia who have done very well defensively, but have not put the scoring in terms. Both of them scored okay last year, but it was all special teams. Right. Uh, Lowry on power play, Armia on um, on the penalty kill. They weren't really driving scoring on five on five. Uh, they have Sean Mathias, who, as most people know, he scores goals and doesn't do pretty much anything else. He just has a big body. Yeah, he has a big body, and he scores goals at a top six rate, despite not being top six in anything else. Uh, then you have Nick Patan. Nick Patan has been a complete Jekyll and Hyde player, and consistently, both last year and the season before, dependent on line mates. Um, generally speaking, players do better with better players. But Patan is more, he has a greater gap yeah. than the typical player would. And not only that, like, he made Chris Thorburn worse. <laughs> and he, he made. Was a, he was he, a bad influence. He, he made Brendan Tanev worse, but he made Blake Wheeler better. Yeah. So, like, when he was with good players, and I mean, it's, it's not that surprising when you think about it. He's an undersized playmaker. You know, pass it to Chris Thorburn, it's not going to work so well. Right pass it to blake wheeler that's gonna work it's a little better yeah, yeah. so he, he needs to start hanging out with better crowds you know i don't want to see <laughs> i don't want to see him skipping class anymore and hanging out <laughs> behind the school with with the sketchy hooligans like chris thorburn well then the interesting thing is because the jets don't have a chris thorburn now even in the bottom six the guys that you're looking at are going to be the drill army of the adam lowry's the andrew cops the um kyle connor will probably after his excellent ahl season will probably make the team and so because of that you know he's going to be dealing with a lot higher quality players so i think we won't really see that jekyll and hyde effect anymore Mm. with patan just because of the fact that you know yeah sure the bottom six and marco dano sorry i forgot him which another underrated player um i think that you won't really see the Jekyll Hyde effect because even though the bottom guys are not nearly as skilled as the top guys, they're at least not enough, or they at least have certain talents 
that I think Patan can work off of. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, interplay between um, you know the GM and the coach in terms of acquiring the assets and then how they're going to be used. And you ideally hope that there's like a shared vision and everything's put into place properly. But I love when like every coach has these guys where they just like inexplicably love playing them, even though it's it's mm-hmm. pretty obvious they're not necessarily very good. But they just can't seem to help themselves. And then I love yeah. when like the GM just like goes like, you know what? I'm just going to get rid of this guy and you can't use him anymore. He's gone. Yeah. You lost his toy. And, yeah. uh, that's, I, I feel like that's good that the Mark Stewart's and Chris Thorburn's of, of the mm-hmm. world aren't available for Paul Maurice to, for the non jets fans. Uh, Mark Stewart has been uh, severely below replacement level for the past five years and he just got bought out. So, well, yeah, I mean, he was like quite literally slowing Jacob Truba down. It was oh. just amazing. Seeing what Jacob Truba looked like when he was playing with other players. Fun fact, Jacob Truba is the only long-term defenseman to be above 50% Corsi with uh, Mark Stewart. And that includes primetime Zidane Chara. Not saying that Jacob Truba is better than Z- primetime Zidane Chara, but it's a funny anecdote. Well, the thing that I enjoy about that is like you just watching the Jets games, you could vi- like quite visibly see the differences in the way Jacob Truba was playing. Like It's one thing like the results were clearly significantly better and it makes sense mm-hmm. that, you know, he's playing with better players and the shot, the shot metrics and the goal metrics will improve. But like you could see, he like just started like opening up his game and sort of realizing all of that potential that we'd heard about and seen in flashes. And that's why I'm very excited to see what a guy like Ryan McDonough looks like this year. If he gets to play with yeah. Kevin Shattenkirk after that's- just playing with Dan Girardi for so long, like obviously his on ice results will skyrocket, but just aesthetically, I, I feel like he's probably just going to play like a way more exciting mm-hmm. brand of hockey as well, which is which is great for viewers. Yeah, uh, going on to Jets defense, since we've kind of naturally segued there. That's yeah, that's uh, how we that's how we do it on the, in the podcasting business. That's how we do, and then I awkwardly make it not so clear. Yeah, you don't have you don't point out the segues; you just roll with them. I just love doing the most awkward things ever, though. Um, yeah, so Jacob Truba is he elite? <laughs> i i'm very curious to see how this plays out because obviously he's due to make a substantial amount of a pretty penny he's looking for a a decent raise at at the end of this coming season and obviously we'll see you know he the jets kind of leveraged him Mm -hmm. in his past contract just based on the power teams have with the current rfa structure and how you know Jacob Truba wanted to make any money, he basically had to just like sign and, and, and get this kind of bridge deal over with. And now I'm fascinated to see whether there's going to be any bad blood left over from that and whether, you know, the Jets are going to have to pay more now than they would. I mean, I, I think yeah. it's pretty clear that they're going to have to pay more now on a long term deal than they would have if they'd just done, done it yeah. a and year that, ago at this time, right? That would be my biggest, or that would be what I'd put money on happening. Um, I think the Jets are probably going to have to overpay a little bit yeah. now for Jacob Truba, uh, just because of the fact that you know that Truba's free; he's no longer yeah. no longer has the shackles of you know Mark Stewart pulling down his results and um, also you know mostly playing on the third pairing. I mean, yes, he got top four minutes because of the fact that um, they used to double shift him on the offside with Dustin Bufflin every once in a while, but um, the results the 
the environment creates the results that we see both in terms of the eye test and in terms of the numbers. But the environment um, that impacts these results also ends up impacting uh, potential earnings. And so now all of a sudden, because of the fact that Truba, the whole reason why I kind of asked for a trade was because of the fact that Truba wanted to basically grow his hashtag brand by showing the fact that he is a star young right shot defenseman. Right. And he's kind of proven that. And now he's going to have one more year to prove that even better. Um, even better. Uh, just because of the fact that uh, he's going to probably be on the top pair with Josh Morrissey this season. And so now also the fact is not only is a better player, but he's played, he's going to be playing in an environment that's going to be more conductive of him uh, producing results that ends up um, giving you money. Right. He's going to accumulate all the counting stats and that'll help him in terms of leverage. And yeah, I mean, as a, as a young mobile right shot defenseman, that's like probably other than, I guess maybe like a number one center, that's kind of like the hottest commodity in today's NHL. So he, the Jets don't really have a, a strong leg to stand on. I mean, I guess he's, he's still, it will be an RFA, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it seems like one of those, one of those deals where he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna be a pretty rich man after, after this coming season, I believe. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that he's gonna be paid higher than most of his comparables suggest that he'll be paid. Mm. Cause I know a lot of the comparables, people like look at the, uh, Jones contract and contracts like that, but I think he's going to get paid a little bit more than those guys. Well, and that's the problem. I mean, you know, we've seen examples of it in the past, and obviously, um, you know, a, a recent example that happened this summer is maybe a guy like uh, Andre Burakovsky with the Capitals, where it's like, I understand why you might want to do a bridge with a player that you know you still don't have a large sample size on him, and you might not might not necessarily be certain that you want to just commit to them for six, seven years at a time, mm-hmm. but if you're not willing to kind of take that calculated risk, then all of a sudden it could really backfire on you if the player actually winds up exceeding your expectations and producing very well. So that kind of puts teams in a weird spot where it's like you obviously want a Jacob Truba to be performing very well for you because you're trying to win games in the present. Mm. But like every time he does something good, you're like, oh, we're going to pay for this, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be the interesting one. Um. Well, I mean, they're going to have a lot of interesting decisions because... Yeah, I was looking at you know their page on uh, Cap Friendly as a team, and other than Shifley, who's six point one two five million per year, looks like a great contract now, especially since it's pretty much stretched throughout his entire prime. Mm-hmm. And Bufflin, um, and then I guess you could lump in like a Matthew Perot into that. But other than those two guys, they don't really have anyone locked up long term yet, yeah. um, for more than like a year or two in the future. So. You know, a lot of these guys, I'm sure they're going to make a priority of of paying them and keeping them because they're very young, exciting, uh, gifted players. But there is also, until it's done, it kind of remains to be seen what this team will look like moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how the next couple of years go, especially because the fact that the Jets do have a fairly well-stocked forward prospects cupboards. Mm. So they have the ability to move some of these guys who are they don't view as being the core, long-term core uh, and replace them with cheaper ELC and those type contracts. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so I had the, I had the uh, I recently did a podcast with Craig Custins and, uh, you know, we, it was a mailbag show and we had a question about, um, 
the Hurricanes or the Jets for next season in terms of who we liked more or who we thought would finish with more points or whatever the question was. And, you know, just for the sake of uh, not constantly agreeing, I took the Jets and, and Craig took the Hurricanes. And mm. do you think uh, I was crazy to do that? I don't know. It, it's tough because obvi- is, obviously the Hurricanes are uh, hur- a very trendy team and have had a good summer. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot to like there. But I look at this Jets roster and I, I really like it. Like, I feel like if things go well for them health wise and they're utilize their players properly and maybe some you know they need a few things to happen obviously but I, you can make the that same statement for pretty much every team in the league um I, I i like i like their team they don't have very many holes they're they're about to go in the season with their third pair probably being the same thing that was their first pair in the year that they went into the playoffs yeah and that was only a couple of seasons ago so there's not that much I mean, yeah, there's some health concerns, um, but the Jets, most of their players that have health concerns or whatever were worse than even normal in terms of being healthy. Um, so I think just Mason and just um, having a little bit better luck in health, just because of the fact that it's it's more likely that the Jets are not going to repeat or worsen um, what was a very historically bad um, health for a lot of their players. I mean, yes, they're still going to get injuries. Some of their better players um, will still get injured. Some players that were really good last year that didn't get injured will get injured. That's just the way the game goes. However, I think the overall impact of injuries will probably be a net positive for them. Their depth is probably going to be a net positive for them. So whether or not they outperform um, Carolina, who I think is the other team poised to have a big jump this summer. Yeah. Um, I mean, which one's going to be better? That that is that is a tough bet to make, but there is very good, very good evidence for both of them. Well, it's interesting because obviously you also have to kind of uh, factor in uh, environment or circumstance or context, and uh, you know, the, I think the Metro Division is going to be very good again next season, and you know, the Central uh, for a while there was considered to be arguably like the best division in the league, and certainly the superior one in the West, and then now I'm kind of. It is starting to decline, that's for sure. Well, there's a lot of interesting things, uh, a lot of wheels in motion, right? Because let's go through the teams. So Colorado is unlikely to be historically bad again. Like I don't, I'm not, no. I'm not saying they're going to be good by any means, but I still it, think if they get the any saves from their goalies, like they're going to have above 50 points. I I think yeah. next season. <laughs> so you know that that instantly uh, you need to factor that in a little bit. I think the stars. You can make the case the Stars might be the most improved team from how they looked at the end of last season to what they're going to look like this year. You can kind of quibble with the contracts they gave in terms of what that team is going to look like financially in 2020, yeah. but I think just for next season, like they Dallas added, Stars, uh, five-time winner of the uh, summer free agency. Uh, yeah, period. Jim Nill is a uh, is uh, a first ballot uh, off-season Hall of Famer. Um, the Blackhawks are. Consistently five years in a row, dropping course of percentage. But still somehow winning regular season hockey Yeah, games. but I just, I just, they're winning, lo- like, I mean, year to year, there's ups and downs, but the general trend, even with their wins and points, is still going downward. Yeah, and there's obviously, you know, with that blue line, there's a lot of reason to be concerned. And it's, you could like, you could envision a very realistic scenario where they completely fall off, but I still don't want to be the guy that just, you know. 
the hot take machine that's that just goes the Blackhawks are missing the playoffs. Garrett hot takes Blackhawks are missing the playoffs next year. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. No, Jonathan, yeah, I'll think about no, it. I'll think about it. I mean, I, I, a lot of it. A lot of it rests on. Um, of course, Crawford is really yeah. good. I mean, Craw- Crawford is a good goalie, and a lot of it's going to rest on it. But as we mentioned before, good goalies are not always good. Good goalie, yeah. That is that that. Wow, that's it's deep. Good goalies <laughs> are not always good. Um, yeah, the Wild. Good team. Good team. Very deep. You know, it, it's funny because they. Something weird was going on there last year where uh, for the first half of the year or whatever, they were winning a ton of games and they were like significantly outperforming all of their underlying Shaw metrics. And it it was, it was kind of consistent with what we've seen from Boost Boudreaux teams where he seems to have legitimately figured out shot quality, at least when it comes <laughs> to the regular season. Um, and then they started after the trade line when they acquired Marty Hansel, they started being a much more dominant possession team, but went into the spiral because Devin Dubnik kind of fell off. And then obviously they lose in the first round to the Blues and everyone's like, oh, there you go. There goes Corsi. Get Corsi again. Just <sighs> ruining everything. Because, you know, goaltender, Corsi ignores goaltenders, not because it's saying goaltenders don't matter, but just saying because this is, it's just stats only paint a certain part of the picture. So it's not saying this is the whole picture. It's just saying in this part of the picture, they're better, but if your goalie doesn't make saves, I mean, Corsi that matters. Corsi is a goalie coach. I hope he's not ignoring goalies. No. Otherwise, it seems like he wouldn't be able to do his job. Man, that was just workload. <laughs> that was just to see how many times his goaltenders moved. Um, yeah, I think the Wild will be fine. The Blues. Um, speaking of goalies, if yeah, Jake, if Jake Allen isn't the best goalie in the world, maybe they'll they'll fall off a bit. But there's probably a middle ground between how they looked at the start of the year with Hitchcock and how they looked towards the end of the year with Mike Yo, and they'll probably be somewhere in between. Yeah, that would be my guess as well. So, yeah, well, since you're now, I feel like you're more of a uh, a fan of the Winnipeg Jets than than covering them. Yeah. All right. Well, what's what? And uh, even then, even then, it's like it's not. Like I, I'll be honest with me working in with me working, uh, with working in the industry, it does kind of taint a little bit of that fandom. But yeah, I'd say Winnipeg Jets fan. Well, okay, so on on a scale of let's say one to ten, ten being you're already planning the the parade route, and <laughs> ten and a half, and one being I don't I don't even I don't even know what. Um, where where are you at in terms of optimism for this team moving into next season? Uh, what's the what's the what would you say is the optimism for playoff line? Six. Yeah, I think anything anything above. Yeah, I think I think six is like. Then I'm gonna say six point five. Oh, so you're 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 calling the Jets as a playoff? I, I think the Jets will probably sneak in one of the two wildcard spots. Hmm. Um, I think that they will do a lot better over the next two years. Than hope, they have in the last. Well, yeah, I, I hope you're. I hope you're right. I mean, yeah. they're really fun to watch, and I think that they've. I mean, the two biggest holes they took care of. Hmm. Uh, Mason may not may not be the best goaltender ever, but he should be improvement in the area that the Jets were um, hurt the most. Uh, Kulikov, not the greatest guy, even even if he doesn't. Um, I mean, there's a lot of debate on whether or not he was better in florida than in buffalo some people like the numbers people will suggest that he's just was always kulikov but uh some of the non-numbers types 
like to state that he was much better in uh, Florida. That said, um, even if he is no better than he was in Buffalo, um, he still fits the role that the Jets need. The Jets needed a guy that was more defensive that, Mm. you know, uh, prevents goals against and would push uh, Ben Schrott into the proper position that he needs to be in, which is the seventh defenseman. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of money to be paying your sixth defenseman, but... He'll he'll get. There's only so much damage you conceivably do as the sixth defenseman, and he'll get minutes. And he'll be probably playing with Dustin Bufflin, and um, Dustin Bufflin typically carries not very good defensemen. Ben Sherratt basically made an NHL career off of because of the fact that when he got called up, he was playing with Dustin Bufflin. Um, Grant Clinsom was doing very well until he broke his back twice in less than a hundred and something days. Um, he pulls up not very good defensemen and makes them look fairly good. And Kulikov will just need to be good enough to, you know, make up for the fact that sometimes Dustin Bufflin uh, just watches the puck and doesn't watch anything yeah. else. <laughs> he basically needs to just like sit back and be a safety, a safety valve. So. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've done enough in the jets here. Um, but before we get out of here, um, should we talk about some of the, uh, the hirings that have gone on in the NHL over the past sure. year or so. So we had we had two, I believe, right? Yeah, I believe Kevin Kahn two, from Batarink got hired by the Hurricanes, joining their super staff of Mega Minds. Yeah, and uh, and, Great David, guy. and David Johnson got hired by the Flames. Yeah, uh, also a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, having having. Having met David Johnson, um, you know, we sat together on a panel at the Sloan conference. He was, uh, he was a very nice, soft spoken gentleman and was very different than, uh, the personality you might've come across. Believe it or not, people are not always the same. Yeah. It's it's crazy how that works. Uh, an emotionless 140 characters is not always the best way to understand how a person's moral compass or yeah. How they act, how they think. Yeah. What were your, what were your thoughts on those hirings? Um, sure you have some thoughts. Data rank, uh, to be honest with you, um, I'm not like everything that I've seen with the guy that he's done. He's done like some very pretty, um, God, I'm going to miss those. Like, uh, yeah, I the, know. The, sort of like ping pong ball, like back and forth the, thing. They kind of reminded me of like Star Wars movies, yeah, the lasers shooting them off across and oh, like shields God. and whatever. I mean, he, the guy definitely knows how to make pretty stuff. Um, <laughs> whether or not that fits in his role. Like, I mean, it, obviously he's a good programmer and I think that's a lot of the role that he's going to be going into. Um, so, and I trust Telski and I trust his decision-making, um, quite a bit. Uh, David Johnson, um, just to put it out there, most people know that David Johnson and I have had quite the feud on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Blood feud. Um, well, apparently I run a cult. Uh, (laughs) and here's the thing. I'm just going to preface this with this. If David Johnson's going in there to create a um, interactive um, da- uh, database for th- their team, yep. he is more than qualified for that. He's done like the hockey analysis website um, and also the Pucalytics. There are great websites that um, they were highly, they're quick and highly scalable. They're yep. informative and useful and they're also user-friendly and having a combination combination of being able to develop all three of those characteristics 
is not easy. It's, it's harder than it looks. Yep. And the fact that he's was able to do two different websites like that, not just one, two, yep. that speaks a lot for his abilities and his capabilities. So in no way or shape or form, despite the fact that, you know, I had some differences of opinions, do I believe that he's not qualified to help a team? Hmm. Um, now to give some quick history of the, bl- the blood feud, as you said, um, way back in the day, we're talking about 2007, 2008 range. Back when you were knocking on doors and getting people to sign your petition for Matthew Perot. Yes, basically. (laughs) Even though I was, wasn't Matthew Perot playing the QMJHL back then? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. He was pretty good in the Q. Um, You just wanted people to know. I just wanted people to know. Have you heard about our savior, Matthew Perot? Um, so David Johnson, he filled a role, a role that was actually necessary and important. Um, he was highly critical of any type of development and any type of uh, research that was done. And that, like, that is a valuable thing, especially because of the fact that I come from a scientific background. And to us, science is, science is all about disproving um, hypothesis. It's not about taking a hypothesis and saying, okay, that's good enough. Um, you constantly, constantly are reevaluating and disproving things. Now, I did have some differences of opinions on how he did it and also in the um, uh, opinions and inferences that he's made off of the data. But that's that said, he filled a very important role. That said, there was also, from 2007 to 2017, um, it started off with Gabriel Desjardins, then it moved to Eric Tolsky, and then it mo- moved to myself and some other indiv- individuals at Hockey Grass. We're consistently and constantly being like, no, that's not how regression works. No, that's just because something is rare does not necessarily mean um, that it's a, a skill or a talent. You you have enough um, people flipping 10 coins. Yep. Eventually, you'll find some people who uh, flipped 10 heads in a row hmm. um, just through the shared magnitude. I'm, and there's a lot more going on. Um, a lot of it started with the whole shot quality debate. And the shot quality debate was never quite how it was advertised. Everyone believed in shot quality um, and that it mattered and that it made the difference between a 50% Corsi player playing on the on the fourth line versus a 50% Corsi player playing on the first line, that those two players were not exactly the same. That said, um, there was a difference in opinion on how much uh, shot quality would create in um, marginal gains off of that shot quantity. Hmm. And so that's where the, most of the debate stemmed from. And it was a 10-year-long debate. And whenever you debate something for 10 years, it gets a little bit tiring. And both sides are going to get a little bit short with each other at times. And right. that's that's some of the context that has to be kept in mind when you see the fact that you know these people are having heated arguments. A lot of it has to do with the fact that you know this has been going on for 10-plus years for some of us. So... It's yep. gonna it's gonna sound and look a different way than if some random just comes up to me and debates me something else. Yeah, I have a few things to add to. Yeah, to go ahead. You said. I think you, I think you said all that very well. Um, I agree. Hockey analysis is a uh, a very it was an invaluable resource for myself and everyone else who does this, and uh, will definitely miss it because it was just it was just so easy to use and uh, it like never seemed to really bug out or lag on you, and it was just whenever you needed it and. A snap of a finger, all of a sudden you can find whatever you need. Um, 
I think the distinction you made there, though, between um, the the act of cultivating and acquiring data and mm-hmm. putting it together versus actually evaluating and analyzing said data. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's easy to blur those lines and just kind of take for granted that it's kind of like the same skill because you're working with all these numbers. But I very strongly believe that they're two entirely different skill sets. And um, yeah, I, I, the reason why I bring that up is because I feel like, uh, it, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but I still in today's NHL with how many resources teams are investing in their staffs and, and certain projects they're working on. Sometimes people that don't know any better just assume that one person can do those mm-hmm. two things sometimes. And, you know, I don't want to get into too many details, but I interviewed with a few teams this summer and it was kind of enlightening just sort of hearing their ideas in terms of what they wanted to do and how they perceived the operation going and sort of the lack of understanding that one person can't just do all of those things. It's, it's definitely true that right now the NHL doesn't quite have a full understanding of what a good data analytics department will look like and um, how how much resources it takes, uh, how much time it takes, and um, the different roles and different expertise that's needed and required in terms to do it um, exceptionally. I mean, Hockey Data, uh, we're we're both a tracking company and an analysis company and also working with big data, so... You know, we see firsthand about how there's different skill sets that are involved. And because of that, you need a huge staff and you need a huge staff of good people. Um, I personally believe that I'm pretty good at what I do. However, I still look for people to shore up my weaknesses, whether that is people who code in certain things, whether it's people like I have some background in machine learning. However, I still brought in DTM about heart to um, assist with our machine learning. But, but and the other thing I was also, uh, and when you brought up in terms of, uh, you know, being critical and asking questions, that's also super valuable too, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you and I um, could be looking at the same information and we could approach like our we could approach it in two completely different ways or or in terms of like what we're trying to when we're trying to make sense of it or what it means or how important it is and it's important to sort of have that type of um back and forth as opposed to just yeah thinking one person has all the answers because it's pretty clear that no one does otherwise shot location for just one example shot location has been looked at multiple times by multiple people for expected goal models all the way back from like 2008 2009 when i think I could be wrong, but I believe it's like Brian McDonald who was first like looking at it. Um, I might get the person wrong. Um, f- from the very beginning, looking at like distance adjusted save percentage and all these kind of different factors, it didn't work out the first couple times. It didn't work out the second, third, or fourth, or fifth time. Eventually, we figured things out, and those things don't occur those improvements don't happen unless you're constantly that's the whole scientific method of the fact is we're constantly re-looking and evaluating things to see you know how how we can improve upon stuff and so having that questioning guy like for example um david johnson was on the community is a good thing well i I think that there's a difference between uh 
intellectual curiosity and disingenuous trolling. But yeah, I mean, and we all pass that line at times. I have as well. I know for a fact. I I love to troll. Mm. Usually, I more troll the randoms that I don't really know. But yeah, um, and like as I said, I had some differences of opinion uh, with David Johnson um, personally because of. Um, I believe that there were at times disingenuous use usage of cherry picking data or um, uh, truncating graphs at times. However, still he had a positive impact, not just in terms of building a database. Okay. We need to stop talking about him yeah. like he's dead. Yeah. Like <laughs> all past and stuff. Um, but no, yeah. I, 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 I think the, 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 the final kind of important point is that, um, just moving forward, I think it, it's okay to sort of, um, you know, like... It's okay not to agree with me. Well, that that definitely, I disagree with you a lot about uh, every, a lot of things. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of, like, written work or stuff like that, um, it, it might not be the most satisfying thing to a reader who, like, expects you as a quote-unquote expert to just provide, like, answers for them or, like, definitive things sometimes it's not that cut and dried and sometimes it's okay to maybe write an article that just kind of raises a question or poses mm-hmm. a theory without it actually being this sort of definitive uh thing about what's important and what isn't and which player is better than than yeah. which one right like sometimes that stuff is open to uh both peer review but also just good natured debate and that's important as well and i mean like just looking at like one of the last debates, one of the last debates that went on was, you know, having to do with like, uh, don't tell me about hearts, uh, war model. And yes, the war model is not perfect. Congratulations. Like we, we, we wouldn't expect otherwise we're dealing with, you know, very basic data and we're trying to make the most of that data. And like, that's literally what war is like literally war is our best guess of value. Given the information that we have, we know that the best guess is not the perfect guess. Um, however, the real question about, you know, like I've, this is my pinned tweet. It's a quote, a very famous quote. And it ends with like, you know, the most important thing for a model is not what, whether or not the model is perfect. The question is, you know, cause if the, cause if the model's supposed to tell you the truth and perfection, you'll never reach that. Um, it'll always be no, but is it perfect at least to a certain degree? In, t- in being informative and being useful. Right. Is it moving us in the right direction? And there's no question thus far in all the testing that's been done thus far, again, with the caveat, um, it's been better than what we've had before. Like, one of the biggest inputs in war is uh, players' even strength offense and defense. And we find that even strength offense and even strength defense in war is a lot more predictive of future success for a player and also a lot more consistent to results than, for example, relative Corsi or relative teammate Corsi or other statistics that other people use. Hmm. Well said. Those are the stylings of uh, CTO and co-founder of Hockey Data, Garrett Hole. Not all, not all hockey data. Just the company hockey data. Yeah, yeah you, you, you were, you weren't the co-founder of just, just. Hockey I data was the general. first guy that was like <laughs> the person that created. We should track how often a player scores a goal. Mm. Um, are you still being super 
hush hush secretive about what, what team you guys are teams you guys are working with or what you're what, um, you're, what you're doing because i remember last time you were there is a potential that we may be announcing two new relationships but uh, the capitals one, one is the only one that's currently the capitals on was the, the only one that was on record yeah um that's uh, so you're to blame when they fall when they fall yeah. fall back down to the pack this coming season and I can't say what we were doing with them because I will <laughs> I will say this with some of our clients we give data some of our clients we give analysis and some clients we give both hmm. so just remember that like and we work with more than one NHL client so when well, it seems like a conflict of interest potentially uh, no if you're selling if you're selling especially when you're selling just data yeah. like here's the data right 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 and but as we as we said, that's only part of the battle, and that can lead teams and astray if they don't know what to do with it. And that's why you know I firmly believe that having a good um, research and development t- team hmm. within your um, front office is very important because I've I've seen um, different teams make very different uh, choices off of the same type of information. Um, yes. But yeah, as I was saying, like uh, there, there, there might be two announcements coming in the future. Uh, one of them. Def- I'll just say them now. I promise we'll bleep it. Don't. Worry. Okay. <laughs> and oh, oh, yeah, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. There we go. Um, one of them definitely looks like the fact that it'll be um, public disclosure, um, just because of the fact that it's not actually NHL level. Usually, the non-NHL levels are a little bit more okay. With, right. Not always. Some of them are still hush hush, but. Um, and then on top of it, um, another one will be a lot larger scale, hmm. um, p- potentially larger than could be big news. Could be big news. Well, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. And the listeners should look forward to the fact that you and I might be doing another podcast soon. I don't want to, should we hint to what? Well, I don't, I don't know how, like, I don't, I don't want to give away too much because I don't want, does it have someone... anything to do with Patrick Lining being better than Austin Matthews? It, it JK JK it might um you know something else it could be though and here's a question from a Twitter follower Greg Ferguson who goes Zach Wierenski or Ivan Provorov which one would you rather have we I, might we might I answer a question answer, like that I cannot answer that question without any sort of bias because of the fact that I've been a Wierenski fanboy for quite some while well we might. <laughs> You and I might answer a question like that, and could, and could. many other similar, yeah, ones. Do you think we've given away a good 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 tease on what this? I think that's a good tease. Okay, look forward to that uh, sometime in the coming week, and um, yeah, we'll check you out on Twitter at Garrett Hole, where you're tweeting out much less interesting things that you may have been in the past. <laughs> now that you're working for NHL teams, but I might have some interesting stuff tweeted out in the next. A lot like bit. powerlifting and boat references and. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Garrett, and we'll, we'll have you back on soon. Thank you for having me. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. <laughs>